0: The House of Cards recap that you're about to listen to contains recaps for chapters 41 and 42. We recorded each podcast separately, so we did not see chapter 42 at the time we recorded chapter 41. So feel free to listen, and then we will tell you when we start our recap of chapter 42. Or if you want to skip ahead to the chapter 42 recap, skip to the 39-minute mark of this podcast. house of cards season four episode two chapter 41 is over but we are just getting started here on the house of cards post show recap and now here are the two guys who have run away from home up in a tree i'm rob sesterner here is the great zach brooks
1: i am the mother rob (laughs) yes i'm the mother
0: (laughs) i'm the mother misa yeah don't forget do not forget So we have a lot to get through as we are talking about the State of the Union episode
1: here on the House of Cards post-show recap. How's the State of the Union of this podcast?
0: Strong, strong. Good. good. And let me tell you how strong that this is going to be the first of two episodes back-to-back that you're going to hear in one podcast episode. We are going to be doing episode or chapter 41 and 42, but we have not watched chapter 42 yet. Yet we are going to talk all the way through chapter 41 and then we will tell you and we will start officially chapter 42. It's just all going to be here in one podcast because a little bit of inside baseball that we are going to do both of these podcasts in the next couple of hours. So rather than stop down to post one, we're just going to put them up together and then you guys can tell us in the comments whether you like this or do not like this idea at all.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to uh, double down
0: with you, Rob. Okay, we're going to double down. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so very exciting. Of course, we want to remind you, if you would like to subscribe to the House of Cards post show recap, if you haven't done so already, go to postshowrecaps.com slash HOC iTunes. We greatly appreciate it. You give us a an up or down vote in iTunes when you give us a star rating or comments. Helps more and more people find the show and make the state
1: of our union even stronger. Yeah, we are coming out of the darkness and uh, (laughs) into the light of House of Cards Season 4. In our ivory dresses as we go along here.
0: And then, of course, you can always send us your emails, hoc at postshowrecaps.com. We'll get to your feedback about Chapter 41 coming up later in this hour. But, Zach, it's the season of Frank versus Claire. And the battle
1: battle lines have been drawn. (laughs) The fighting is escalating. Yeah, we're getting some real you know, the start of the war. Things have things have really started to kick off between the two of them and we're seeing shady backroom deals um from Frank and from Claire and we're just really getting getting into the heat of this thing and it's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better.
0: It's a real war of the roses in this season and so what I would like to find out from you is I want to sort of talk through exactly what happened in the sort of chess game between Frank and Claire, because there's some points of it that I'm a little muddy about in terms of who was doing what and who called whom, because I think the episode leaves it a little bit vague, but maybe we could piece it all together. And then ultimately, let's try to figure out where Claire is going with her next move that she's alluding to at the end of the episode. Let's start there. What is Claire doing now that the thirtieth is off the table? So where is Claire going
1: for the two thousand sixteen election cycle? I mean, there's only so many places to go, right? She could go to Congress. She would go to the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, she go to the she go to the federal um, the federal districts or the state. I don't think she would go to state senator, state house, though. Um, and then she could go to governor, which that I think is my prediction is that she's going to try to become governor, governor of Texas. Yeah. Governor of Texas. I mean, I don't know if the I don't even know if the election cycles match up for Mm -hmm. sure. And anything's possible in the House of Cards world.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, she did talk about governor of Texas by 2020. So that would put it on track with 2016.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, maybe she's just escalating things because her first plan didn't work.
0: Yeah. But I do think that to go to be governor of Texas, where people were saying that running for Congress in the 30th district seemed like it was a little bit of a long shot. It does seem weird that she would jump into being the governor, but I don't really know what else is on the table for her. Is it possible? The only thing that I could think of does she somehow get involved with Dunbar? Could she possibly be some sort of running mate for Dunbar? Although, in the primaries, you wouldn't even name a vice presidential candidate,
1: but it does seem like she's going to be running somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think she would be a running mate against Frank. I think, as much as her and Frank are, are starting and to. And Dunbar go, probably wouldn't want her, also. Yeah, I mean, Dunbar's not going to trust her, but like. You know, Frank and Claire are going after each other, going against each other, but it's really kind of behind the scenes stuff. Um, They're not going after each other in public. And and that would be a pretty declarative statement. Uh, Pardon the pun, declarative. But uh, (laughs) that would be a pretty declarative statement to run as Dunbar's running mate.
0: So where does she go? I mean, so if this seat is now off the table, they made it sound like there's not that many other places where she could be running Are we going to get into some sort of like Gray Davis, like recall type thing where does she just try to
1: take out somebody who's in a current seat? I think that is possible. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we're pretty far along in the election cycle as it is. So a lot of these seats are probably already spoken for who's going to be running for them? I mean, it's kind of late in the game to be just jumping in and, and deciding that you're going to run somewhere. So she's going to have to get the people out of the way. Yeah. And we're starting to see a lot more of Claire kind of using the Frank Underwood tactics and and manipulating people and I think we're going to see that more and more. We're really going to see Claire kind of break bad this season. Absolutely. I do feel like at the end of the episode, that confrontation that she had with her
0: mom, her mom who seemed to be an ally. The episode started with Claire's mom trying to raise money for her candidacy and being very much anti-Frank and then here comes Claire straight out of the Frank Underwood playbook that she asks for something. Then when mom pushes back, she basically says, you'll either give me what I want or I'm going to do what I
1: want to do anyway. Yeah, she's going to sell the estate out right from under her nose. Yeah. Did you get from that that, you know, with this estate sale thing, are we going to see Claire do something to her mother if her mother won't cooperate? I don't know if she's going to do something
0: to her. I don't know. Like, are we thinking like something nefarious to her mom? I feel like that would be a extremely dark place for Claire to go.
1: Forget the black dress and the ivory dress. This would be beyond any of that. I I just have the feeling that somebody is going to. I don't think that Claire's mom is going to die from the cancer Um, watching this. I just feel like we're heading to a place where something bad is going to happen to Claire's mom and somebody either Frank or Claire Um, is going to be responsible for the death of Claire's mother. Yeah, do
0: not stand in the way of an Underwood when they want something. And really, if Claire's mom was out of the picture, that would really make things a lot easier for her. One, she would have access to all of the family's money. Two, she wouldn't have to be seen as sort of like a caretaker to her mom. She could be out campaigning and nobody's going to say like, hey, isn't your mom sick at home? Aren't you here to be with your mom? So if her mom was to pass, she would have a whole base of operations there and she would have access to all these sorts of resources and goodwill. So maybe that could be something that I was not thinking about, but maybe a direction that she wants to go.
1: Yeah. At the beginning of the episode, I was thinking, especially when we were seeing how Claire's mom was going to be funding the Dunbar campaign, I was thinking, all right, she's going to be a real thorn in Frank's side and Frank's going to have to take care of her. Yeah. And then by the end of the episode, I was like, no, it's going to be Claire who takes care of her because Claire wants this money and her mother is in the way. I do think that maybe there are some parallels to the parable of Walter Rison
0: from Gaffney, who went and climbed up a tree and then frank told him to come on down walter come on down and he would not and so what did frank do he went and he got an axe and he started shaking that tree and he started cutting that tree down is that not the same as what claire underwood is threatening to do to her mom get out that axe and i'll cut this tree down you'll be knocked out of the tree if you don't get
1: down on your own yeah cut down the tree house <laughs> yeah I mean, it's that, and and we can dive into that scene. Um, you know that I really, really like that scene where Frank's making the sandwich and telling the story uh, and breaks the fourth wall for the first time this season. So let's talk about that because Zach, I know you are an expert
0: in many things, especially sandwiches. What do you think <laughs> of PB and J for
1: Frank as a post State of the Union snack? I, I don't think that's where I would go. I think I'd go with something with a little bit of meat on it and some mustard. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I mean. You can't go wrong with peanut butter and jelly. It's, it's easy. You, you have the two sides that are coming together. <laughs> you have your peanut butter. Maybe that's Frank and your jelly. Maybe that's Claire. <laughs> and just put it together and make a nice sandwich because it's better together than it is on its own.
0: And so Frank Underwood breaks the fourth wall for the first time this season. It tells us this whole story about Walter Rice and that young man from Gaffney. So as a scene was fantastic. Right. Great. Kevin Spacey, just chewing the scenery and
1: uh, giving a great performance there. Yeah. And he he does it in his like sing songy voice that he's trying to convince us, you know, who knows that this story is even true. Um, and, you know, Frank is just telling us all about it. And, and it's also it's got a nice parallel to George Washington's uh, story about chopping down the cherry tree. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that was what I was thinking about during that. So he says at the end of the story that it turns out that all
0: Walter Rison needed was the motivation to get down from the tree. And so he says that this is like Claire. Claire is going back to Texas. That's basically her tree. But he will cut down that tree if he needs to, where he was able to outflank her on the 30th district. And that's really what I want to sort of try to get into as well with trying to make sense of what happened, because I was a little confused. We end up seeing first in the beginning of the episode, we see Celia going to go see Jackie Sharp, who I was worried about. I was worried she got another job, but she is back, Jackie. And Celia wants to put $3 million in the form of a super PAC into Jackie's campaign to get Jackie to get this breast cancer hospital to happen in the 30th district back in Dallas. So Jackie is excited. She could use the money in her campaign. Okay, so We assume that that is the money that Claire's parents or Claire's mom has raised with her friends. That $3 million is being funneled into the Jackie Sharp campaign because she is an ally of Dunbar and that would more embolden Dunbar and make Frank lose.
1: So from there, I didn't I did not put that together. Actually, that that was Claire's mom's money that was being funneled to Jackie Sharp. I thought those were two separate. See, uh, I'm assuming, I'm assuming that's the case. Yeah. I mean, that's, If that is, that's interesting. It just didn't seem like
0: that was very spelled out. But then, on the other side of things, then we have the point where Doris calls up Frank and goes behind Claire's back, seemingly, even though the Doris seemed like she was on board with this plan. I mean, Celia is there sitting with Claire Underwood, and they seem like that Celia is on board with this plan. But then Doris calls up Frank, and then she asks for the money from Frank for the hospital. So... Did Doris outflank Claire here? Because then that's what I thought, where she's like, okay, you think you're going to run instead of my daughter for my seat in the district? Well, we'll see about that. But the thing that really confused me is the conversation between Doris and Claire when she sees her on the stairs. Because first, Doris says to her, like, didn't Frank give one heck of a speech tonight? And Claire is like, yeah, and I thought that Doris was really throwing it in her face, But then she says to Claire, it was so nice of you to mention to Frank about Celia running. So that's where I'm really confused about. Why did she go to Frank and then Frank was the person that threw in the part about Celia running? I just don't understand. What was the disconnect between
1: Doris and Claire? Yeah, I mean, the whole thing was you know, it was really hard to follow, I felt like. And and I'm hoping that in the next couple episodes we get some more into what actually happened. Um, what I really took away from it is that Doris is more of a hardball player than we expected. Sure. Um, I think Doris had just as much backroom meetings and, and shadiness going on that um, we didn't even realize. You know, because she just seems like this sweet old lady that's been in Congress forever. And um, she's she's pretty cutthroat.
0: Yeah, she's wanted. Tyson.
1: Yeah. She she wanted her breast cancer clinic built and she wanted Celia to take the seat and was going to do whatever she needed. And um, I think Frank somehow got this information and figured out about the clinic, found out that she was trying to get it built, found out that this was Claire's leverage to get the seat. And he figured, you know, the State of the Union is the perfect time to really throw Claire under the bus and announce this, um, that he was going to support uh, the breast cancer clinic,
0: but I think that the part about Celia, I don't think that was from Doris because Doris thanked Claire. She says, "Thank you for getting the president to mention Celia in his remarks." So she didn't say that, like, "Oh, I guess that the president thought Celia would be better than you." She doesn't say like anything like catty towards her about the Celia thing. She's almost like, "Well, that didn't come from me. That must have come from you." So. I don't know then what was her incentive for calling Frank in the first place instead of just going through this Jackie Sharp route that they were doing at the beginning of the episode. So I don't know what changed for Doris, basically. Do we know
1: that Doris actually called him?
0: Yes, because he answers the phone and is like, uh, oh, hello, Congress, uh, Congresswoman, or uh, that he addresses her. And then we see her in his office. He tells Doug, make room for one more at the State of the Union. And then they're talking about like, he says to her, you played this so well. And then the guy asks, oh, well, how did she play it? And he says, well, that'll be our
1: little secret. But it's a secret from us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we don't know. No, I mean, they're, they're not showing all the cards there. And, um, I mean. He needed to request an extra seat for her at the State of the Union. Isn't she in Congress? Wouldn't she have been at the State of the Union anyways? I don't really understand what was going on there. I think that maybe she got a better seat, but it also is confusing because
0: Celia was sitting with Claire Underwood. So it seems like a little <laughs> weird that Celia is sitting with her, but then she wasn't going to be a big deal. But anyway, it, it it all worked out. I don't think it's a major uh, plot detail. We probably shouldn't spend too much time thinking about it, but it was a little confusing to me overall. So... Frank is the person he's able to outflank Claire here. Do you think that Frank feels like that
1: he has effectively shut this all down? Uh, I do think he does, and I don't think he's shut it down. Claire's going to keep going, and um, he might be underestimating her resilience and her drive to, to really get this moving.
0: Claire is working very closely with your girl Leanne. And she wants $1.5
1: million to manage Claire's campaign. Boy, that sounds very pricey. Yeah, that's a nice salary. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, uh, I, would, I would love to have a million and a half dollars to, um, to work with Claire Underwood. Work with <laughs> Claire Underwood. Get her elected somewhere. Yeah, whatever, wherever. We'll get her, you know, Alaska or South Dakota, you know, somewhere. That's- doesn't even matter. It's a tall order, but apparently Nev is worth the money because she has a big
0: reputation. Even Remy knows about what's going on. And of course, Remy and Jackie are back with their romance. And I was very excited to see Jackie, but I have to say, I
1: did not like that scene with Remy and Jackie in the hotel room. Yeah. I mean, all I was thinking about during that scene was like, man, we were wrong again on another podcast. The last podcast we said, oh no, probably no Remy this season. You know, we might see Jackie Sharp. Uh, we won't see Petrov no wrong wrong wrong
0: (laughs) no these remy and jackie scenes it's like this like grocery store romance novel type stuff where they're having like a real conversation and then they have it ending with jackie saying to remy no i want to taste you first geez louise Jackie.
1: Fifty Shades of Remy. Fifty Shades of Remy. And I love Jackie Sharp. I just don't like that they're taking her in this uh, very tawdry direction. I mean, their whole their whole thing is they're just kind of on again, off again. They're like, you know, like the Jim and Pam of of House of Cards, I I feel like. I get it.
0: Jackie and Remy have a, you know, hot love life. But please. I mean, what did you think about the
1: fact that Jackie is getting her uh, tattoo removed?
0: Yeah, what do you make of that? Because I felt like that that was something that was very strong when they first established her character. I think that in her first episode, I want to say it was the second episode of season two when they really established her as a character, and then they sort of brought in this thing about her character that she would be a person who she would do terrible things, but sort of like as a penance, or not do terrible things, but she had a conscience and sort of to make penance for these things that she... She was doing where she screwed over the guy I forget what his relationship was, that she had been like a mentor to her then she was getting like a tattoo and she didn't want anything to sort of numb the pain now she's getting those tattoos removed. Do you think it's that she's more comfortable with these things that she doesn't need to have this sort of penance on her body of like this is what I have this is the price I'm paying? doing these lousy things
1: to people yeah i mean i think we've seen her kind of lose some of that innocence that she came in with where she i'll say after some of these scenes with remy yeah, exactly i mean instead of the pain she gets the pleasure of remy whoa yeah uh but i think that we're seeing you know we're seeing the tattoos being removed is really symbolic of she's more willing to play hardball to do these shady backroom dealings that she has to do and not feel so bad about it, not feel like she has to punish herself for this stuff.
0: Now, does Frank know about Jackie Sharp and Remy's relationship? That was something
1: I couldn't remember as I was watching this episode. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure he does. I think he mentioned it to Remy when they were in the church mm-hmm. uh, last season. And so I know he he knew about it, but they were They were on and off throughout last season because she had the other guy that she was dating um, in last season, the guy with the two kids. Well, she was married to that guy. Yeah, married to him even more. (laughs) She did more than date him. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I don't know what's going on. We never really got. And that was only like two weeks ago that she was in the debates in Iowa. And uh, or it's probably a few months have passed. But she was in the debates where Frank Underwood says, like, uh, what about your kids, Jackie? So it hasn't been that long in the time for the show, even though it's been a year for us. So why was it such a big deal? that Leanne was able to put a photographer on the street and photograph Jackie Sharp and Remy coming out of the same hotel. And then she throws it in Remy's face where he says that your fingerprints are all over this Claire Underwood thing. And, he said, and she says to him, well, your fingerprints are all over Jackie Sharp. And that was like a sick burn. And he
1: was like really affected by that. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, it's like, don't bring my, don't bring my personal life in here. Let me, you know, let me have my, my stuff going on. Oh, why he's retired. I mean, who cares if it came out that he's seeing Jackie Sharp, what would be the big deal? Um, I think maybe it would be bad for her career, uh, especially when, when her, you know, you just talked about in the debate that the kids were brought up and her personal life has been brought into this. You just kind of want to keep things clean. I guess so. That doesn't want to be seen. I guess, is she still married? Is that part of the problem? Yeah, they haven't established. I was trying to remember if they established that that she had ended that relationship, and I don't remember that happening last season.
0: Yeah, there seems to be going to some great lengths to be leaving
1: the hotel room separately. Why not leave the hotel, like, five minutes apart? (laughs) You have to walk out at the exact same time, one out of the front, one out of the back. Like Just walk out a couple minutes away from each other. (laughs) I guess so. You could be working there
0: and helping Remy and Jackie have their trysts undetected. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, you know,
1: there might be a guy across the street with a camera.
0: You never know. You never know. So we'll see ultimately what's going to happen with that. It was the return of Petrov as well. Boy, Petrov is really flying off the handle. We talked about in the debriefing or they talked about how that Petrov is like whacking all these people who are working against him. And we find the story of Milken. Milliken and, and he's Milliken. Milliken. He is somebody who is seeking asylum here in the United States. Frank says, send it back to Petrov. But then Petrov is loco and he is saying that he's accusing Frank Underwood of trying to overthrow the Russian government.
1: Yeah. I mean, he is uh, he's very paranoid that Frank is is up to no good with him. And and Frank really isn't. Frank, you know, just wants to stand up for this guy's decency yeah. and, and give him a fair trial and, and have him treated like a human.
0: I don't know if that's necessarily what Frank wants. I think that Frank just doesn't want the Russian economy to topple. We see Frank when he's just with his advisors, he's like, send him back to Petrov. He tried to slay the dragon and he couldn't do it. So screw him. <laughs> but then they say, well, that's kind of going to be bad because then
1: uh, the Russian economy is going to go in the toilet if that really happens. Like, oh, fine. So is the Russian economy going to go in the toilet no matter what if they send Milliken back or only if they send Milliken back and he gets an unfair trial?
0: I think it's going to go back into the toilet if he gets a does not get a trial. I think if Mm -hmm. he just gets executed where it looks like that Petrov is just like whacking anybody that's speaking out against him, there's going to be no sort of business left in Russia.
1: Yeah. And and meanwhile, Petrov is jacking up oil prices. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's a desperate man. He's grasping at straws. Yeah. He's just he's he's a little unhinged. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then it's just like one of those things where it's almost like Petrov has been up on like some sort of like six day like cocaine bender where he's like not even like making sense when Frank calls him up. He's like, "No, oh, Petrov, listen to reason." He's like, "No, no, screw you, screw yeah. you, Frank."
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did really like that. It's it's nighttime when Frank calls him in morning, um, morning in Russia. I thought that was like kind of a cool uh, juxtaposition. Yeah, seeing that. Okay, uh, so you feel like they, they, there is some metaphor there. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm always on the whole light and dark thing, and we see light and dark a lot in House of Cards. We saw it a lot in this episode, and um, so Frank's calling in, in the nighttime when it's dark, and it's daytime when Petrov answers. Maybe that's light, but might be grasping at straws
0: well i do feel like that the metaphor is normally when it's mourning for a country that it's the beginning of greatness that you have the famous like ronald reagan speech about how it's mourning in america so i feel like if that was the metaphor i feel like that if it was morning in russia it would be the beginning of their rise to power and sort of the sun would be setting on the american power yeah i mean that, that's the case that's, maybe that's that what they're saying be.
1: I, I don't feel like executing people and jacking up oil prices is the way to uh, <laughs> to rise as a country, but I'm also not a world leader, so yeah. maybe I'm wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there was a very literal, though, example of your famous dark and light theory on House of Cards where Claire has a long debate with her mom about white dress versus the black dress and no it was not the white and gold dress versus the black and blue dress this was a ivory dress versus the darker dress claire's mom says do not wear the ivory dress you have to wear the dark dress and and she says the ivory dress brings out your worst features yet
1: claire we see her at the state of the union she's wearing the ivory dress what happened what gives she's wearing the ivory dress and not only that she's the only person Who's wearing, a white, who's wearing anything light at the State of the Union. So, Everybody else is wearing dark colors around her. What
0: does that mean? Is it that Claire does the opposite of what her mom tells her to do? Is it that Claire Underwood is going to make the ivory dress work for her? Is she going to be the only person who's able to don the white dress and make it work?
1: I think that makes sense. I think it's also, yeah, she's rebelling against her mother, uh, but still kind of doing what Frank wants. She wears the earrings that Frank had sent her. Um, so she's still being cooperative with Frank and, and maybe she wants to be the, you know, the white knight to these people and, and appear that she's, she's good and virtuous, even if she's really not right now.
0: I think that this relationship with her mom is going to be a big factor. I do think that it's that she is the rebellious child still. I think she would often do the opposite of what her mom wants her to do. In that last scene between her and her mom, her mom says to her point blank that you are such a
1: disappointment. Yeah, that was that was pretty punishing. I couldn't believe she said that. So
0: this alliance between Claire and her mom, while it seems strong at the end of episode one. I think that Claire might be fighting a war on two fronts, one between Frank and one against
1: her mom. Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, dynamic there. And I, I it made me a lot more excited for where Claire's storyline is going now that we have this other dynamic with her mother. Zach, at the end of the episode, we see Claire outside of the ranch,
0: outside of the ha- property, smoking her cigarette. She was doing it inside the house earlier and her mom had talked about how go down to the stables. When you do that, what did you
1: make of that, that they ended the episode on that shot? It, it, I mean, it was a strange spot to end it. I thought both episodes have had kind of a strange ending. Um, but it's, I think in, in the house, her mother said, y- you can smoke it in here if you want. You don't have to go outside uh, like you used to when you were younger to hide it from your father. Yeah. And, and during that scene, also, Claire's mother says, you got away with murder, which hmm. I think is a very choice uh, choice words there. Yeah. Did you find more in in Claire smoking outside by the stables? No, I really don't know what to make
0: of it. Yeah. Anything else from this episode? Do you want to jump into some of this feedback?
1: Uh, yeah, I I think that like overall, I I just really like this episode. It was it was slower, but it really did a good job of setting up, continuing to set up where we're going. I think you know we might have a couple of these setup episodes, and then I think we're really gonna hit the ground running with a couple of these, um, some of these big you know, jaw-dropping moments.
0: Yeah, and I do like these episodes of House of Cards that are all about one thing that sort of all take place during one night, whether it's sort of like Petrov coming to the White House or the State of the Union or the debate. I like it when there is one big event that's going on. I did think that it was cool that everybody was sort of watching the State of the Union, but I thought it was a little implausible. One, you know, we're watching the State of the Union on C-SPAN at a bar. Uh, that there are taxi drivers listening to the State of the Union on the radio as they're driving around, I feel like.
1: Look. That's actually a pretty accurate. Uh, when, oh. you know, when the State of the Union is going on, the bars I, – I live on Capitol Hill, and the bars on Capitol Hill have big watch parties. And, you know, like I tried to go to a bar during the State of the Union to watch a basketball game, and – we couldn't get a TV anywhere at this bar because everybody's watching the state of the union. All right. That is why you are our Washington DC insider. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, One other thing that I really, that I really liked in this episode was the meeting between Frank and Claire with, um, I don't know if she was a mediator, but she kind of sat in between them. Um, and they were talking about the state of the union and the plan for the state of the union. Um, it was like a divorce proceeding. Yeah. It, It really, I mean, they're on two separate sides and, you know, she's in there, they're talking about what they're going to give up and, and what the plan is and how the, how the limos are going to work and and where she's going to sit for the state of the union. So, that was a really, really good scene.
0: Yeah, great call. That I think that woman is just sort of like the person that's choreographing the entrances for mm-hmm. the State of the Union. But it really was with the two of them on each side of the table. The way it was shot, the way that they were acting, it really was like it was a divorce lawyer. At first, I was like, "What are they doing? Is this a, is this a divorce proceeding?" But no, it was just sort of like, "Okay, this is you're going to come in at this point." And then it seemed like that they both couldn't wait to get out of there quick.
1: Yeah, it was. It was really good.
0: Okay, let's take some of our questions here. HOC at post show recaps again, put the chapter title in the subject so that we can know at what point to read it and we don't inadvertently get spoiled on anything you are asking. Okay, why don't we start with Brian Hickey, who says, Hey guys, glad to have the HOC podcast back. It's the reason why I watch the show. So Remy is back, it turns out, and I wanted to know if you guys think that he will end up hurting or helping Frank. I'm fuzzy on how their relationship was left. So in season three, At the end of, I think it was episode eleven. I might have episode eleven or twelve. It was eleven, I believe, and that it was a scene where Remy came into the Oval Office and Frank was chatting it up with Freddie, and then uh, uh, like Frank walked away. And uh, Freddie just started talking to Remy like uh, he's like, oh, good, you're here. Now I don't have to talk to him anymore. And so it was sort of like a weird moment between the two of them where it was almost like Remy was saying, hold on, am I just like, uh, you know, Frank's guy? Am I in the same level as Freddie here? And it was after that he turned in his pin to Seth. So I don't think that he hates Frank, but he did not feel like he was a valuable part of Frank's team.
1: Yeah. And I think they've always kind of had a contentious relationship between the two of them um, going back all the way to the first season when they were kind of against each other. And then he came on board and, and, you know, he was working with Tusk and he's working with Frank. So um, Remy, Remy flips sides a lot, just like just like a lot of the other characters on this show. Yeah, so we will see. So not necessarily
0: clear where Remy stands in all this. Okay, William writes in and wants to know, is the show trolling us or are we still focused on black and white and Claire meaning something? Her mother wore black, the
1: daughter wore white for the State of the Union. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely still on the black and white thing. I've noticed it a lot. Um, If you notice too... Two, two areas where I've noticed it. One is Leanne always wears a mixture of black and white. Ooh. She, she'll wear like a black skirt with a white top or, or like, you know, there'll be like parts of her top that are white and parts that are black. So, you know, she's she's kind of a mix of this, whether black and white is good and evil or Claire and Frank. I mean, you know, whatever kind of two sides of the coin you want to take on that. Yeah, uh, we're definitely still getting that.
0: I also thought it was interesting, there's a point where Claire's mom is lying to her that she is getting some sort of, I think maybe chemotherapy, where she is getting at least some sort of medical procedure done that is related to her cancer, and uh, she tells Claire that she is getting a pedicure. I noticed that as well. What do you think that is? Do you think that her mom doesn't want Claire to worry about her, or her mom doesn't want Claire
1: to see her as weak as she actually is? I think it's a combination of both. I think she doesn't want to be seen as weak and as as poor as she's doing. She wears the she wears the hat or she wears the wig (laughs) to really not reveal, you know, how much she's struggling. And um, so I think I think it's partially that. I also wonder if she doesn't want Claire to feel like she needs to be there because she wants Claire to be out pursuing this this life that that Claire's trying to get I could see it I could see it both ways the
0: great Johnny De Silvera wants to know what do you think will happen with the info Claire has on Jackie and Remy's fling I think she's gonna blackmail Jackie into endorsing her for whatever
1: office she eventually runs for this season yeah I think that's probably a really good call I could see that happening well either that or or blackmailing Jackie into you know could they do something together Could they run together? Why don't we tie it all
0: together? What if she is able to force Jackie out of her seat because then she could say, oh, Jackie Sharp, married woman, she's having an affair with Remy. And then maybe could this scandal force Jackie out of office and
1: Claire could run for her open seat in California? I mean, could Claire just pick whatever state she wants and just be like, all right, I'm going to run in this state now. I have no ties to California. Again, we always
0: bring it back to the Clintons, right? And so Hillary Clinton was able to go and become a senator in New York and just sort of like threw up a shingle in upstate New York and said that I'm running for senator of New York. So I don't know exactly how it happens. I don't know if the Clintons had any sort of residence. I mean, that they were down in Arkansas. I don't know where... Hillary Clinton got the idea of let me run for the spot in New York. I think you just look for an available seat and then move there (laughs)
1: like musical chairs.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's like, okay, let me move in there. Okay. And finally, uh, let's take one more question from Spencer. Frank's fourth wall story about Walter Rison. So if Claire continues to be stubborn and push back against Frank, what will her cutting down the tree moment be? I can't imagine them staying married or alive if they reach that point. Was Frank's violent dream in episode
1: one a premonition? I think it's a, I don't think it's a literal premonition. I don't know if we're going to see the, them having that kind of battle. I mean, this show just doesn't give us that kind of, that kind of violence that we saw in that scene. Um, but I, you know, I, I do think it's got to come to a head at some point. And, you know, I, I've always been on like, get together, work things out. You're better together than you are separate. But, um, you know, the more, the more we get into the season, the more that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> And so also uh, I want to invite
0: people to leave us their comments on postshowrecaps.com uh, so far uh, through the episode one chapter 40 so far uh, laws is running away with the, uh, the number one comment for <laughs> on, on the comment section for chapter 40 Zach, anything else before we close the book on chapter 41 and we come back in this
1: same podcast to talk chapter 42. Yeah. I mean, one question I had for you uh, at the beginning of season two We had, throughout that whole premiere, Frank didn't break the fourth wall until that last scene when he's looking in the mirror, Mm -hmm. and he says, oh, do you think I forgot about you? Uh, And then in this season, we had a whole episode and a half before Frank broke the fourth wall, and then he told the story of the tree and chopping down the tree. Which did you prefer uh, for him choosing to break the fourth wall? Which, which... Uh, fourth wall breaking moment did you like better?
0: Oh, the season two premiere. I think it might be up there in one of the best episodes of
1: House of Cards
0: of all time because you had the whole thing with... Zoe and the train and how he killed her. And you just started season two with such a bang. And then just the way that he turns to the camera and has the FU cufflinks and he knocks on the table. That's just such a amazing way to start a season. I remember being so pumped up after we watched this, as opposed to the last two seasons where the first couple episodes have been more of a slower burn to get us going. That was just right out of the gate. Bam first episode so i i literally bam literally uh i love that season two premiere
1: yeah that's that's really good and i think that set kind of a standard where you expect the first episode of house of card to have that you know that holy shit moment that you have at the end of um you know usually the, the episode before the season finale in a lot of shows um but we we didn't get it this season and i i feel like people were like oh the first episode's kind of boring not that much happened but uh, we're doing a really good job setting the table. The table is set, Zach. What is the hashtag for chapter 41? Uh, the only one I have written down is 50 Shades of Remy. <laughs> 50 Do you have anything Shades of else? Remy. <laughs> is that F-I-F-T-Y or the number? Uh, let's go with the number. There's only limited characters on Twitter. Okay, there you go. 50
0: Shades of Remy for chapter 41. The very tasty Remy. Yeah, uh, allegedly. I-, I wouldn't know. <laughs> All right, Uh Zach, great job once again. You could follow the great Zach Brooks on Twitter. He is at BrooksZA. I am at Rob Cisternino. Make sure you subscribe to the HOC podcast feed. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash HOC iTunes. We are going to break. We're going to play. You're going to hear the House of Cards music. We are going to come back up having seen chapter 42 now it's going to be a couple hours will have passed in our time the world will be different and we will be talking to you about chapter 42 here on house of cards zach anything else no i'll talk to you in a couple hours all right talk to you guys it'll be seconds for you but hours for us we'll be back to talk about chapter 42 House of Cards chapter 42 is over, but we are just getting started here on the House of Cards post show recap on postshowrecaps.com. And now here are the two guys who are ready to do whatever it takes. I'm Rob Sisterino. Here's Zach Brooks. Oh, my God. Rob, will you run with me? Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> let's go we for will. a run together. Let's
0: go for a run. And then let's also run uh, on a ticket
1: together. Yeah, well, we'll run and lead the country while we're running a marathon together. Oh, my goodness. This marathon of House of Cards, actually. Wow. All works together. Underwood,
0: Underwood Ticket. Remember in, I was it the first episode recap of the season that we talked about, like, well, what's Claire going to do? Does she want to be like Dunbar's running mate? And we're like, ah,
1: she can't be a vice president. Uh, nobody would, Dunbar would never have her. But here she is. <laughs> we just think like Frank. We know, you know, she's she's never held the political office. Yeah. Just deserve it yes okay so so much to talk about i think
0: this was the high point of the three episodes so far. all three have been really good i think this was the best
1: yeah i i really like this episode uh directed by robin wright too yeah I she does know a good job yeah i don't know if she's done any other ones this season but all of her episodes in the past have been pretty good
0: yeah she did i think this is the first time i do look for it on the beginning and this was the first time out for her in season four and it was an episode with really a little bit of a twist ending uh for frank at least in terms of like we had known all along that it was claire but then for him to find out here and not like over the course of season four i do like when shows decide to just give you something instead of just like dragging it out over episodes and episodes
1: yeah i did wonder if we were going to have like a Meacham investigation you know like it was going to last for a little while so it's nice that we just Got that payoff right away. Of course,
0: that if you're listening to part one and two together here, all in one podcast, hopefully that this is a nice sort of like, I think this is a continuation of the same story that started in the State of the Union address here, the payoff in chapter 42.
1: Yeah, it worked really well together. So. Okay, good,
0: good. All right. So we don't need to set anything else up because you already heard it if you listened to chapter 41. <laughs> if not, like you listen to the beginning of that, we'll tell you again at the end. So here's what I want to know, Zach, and I'm so pumped up. I just finished watching the episode about 10 minutes ago. Is Frank Underwood going to begin the plan to Zoe Barnes, Claire Underwood?
1: Huh? I mean, I don't think he's quite there yet. I think, you know, I think Claire's got the the upper hand and the aggression right now. And that's what terrifies Frank. Um, he, you know, he said it. He wants a spineless vice president like Donald Blythe in the White House. He doesn't want somebody who can match him, especially because Frank knows what he did when he was vice president to get himself to become president. He doesn't want somebody to overthrow him. But can you threaten Frank Underwood? Is that what you can do? Because I feel like
0: if you back him into a corner, he will come out. And I really think that he feels like there's no other way out of this scenario. I think the only plan for him moving forward and he keeps flashing back to that dream. If it wasn't for that dream, I wouldn't, I would say that. No, I don't think that he's really thinking that, but he's flashing back to the dream. He he, ha, he had the dream. He's flashing back to the dream. He's running the faucet. Blood is coming out of the faucet. I
1: think that he is looking at Claire as I need to take her out. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely seeing blood and um, Claire even made an allusion to it, too. She said when she first approached me, she said, this is just a wound, which made me think back to his dream that he's having and where she's stabbing him with a piece of glass, which is only a wound. hmm. This so could we'll be a just complete knockdown
0: drag out fight that happens here for this presidency. Yeah. Cause what are his alternatives? What, I mean, lay, lay it out. And he talked about like, okay, give me the pros and the cons. If he gives her what she wants, he feels like he will lose, that he will be looked at as a laughing stock. The first president. I mean, could you imagine if Obama came out in 2012 and it's like, uh, okay, my running mate is going to be Michelle. She's been doing a great job. And, uh, and People would say, uh, you know, what, you know, what, what what's this guy on? And I think the same would be true for Frank Underwood, especially after I know that she's popular Claire Underwood,
1: but still. Yeah. I mean, I think Frank could spin it. He's, he's talked very highly about Claire in public and the state of the union. He just did. I don't think this would be the end of the world. Uh, I think he could still win with her by his side. I just think he doesn't want that threat and, and, and somebody who could overpower him in mm. that role. Yeah. I don't know. Did you like the, uh, the metaphor that we've seen in in previous seasons of House of Cards of Frank and Claire literally running together out on the streets of Washington, D.C., uh, and now she wants to run with him to the White House. Yeah, they've been longtime long time running mates. Yeah, I mean, they, that, that was like the first thing that came to my, my head. And, you know, th- this is a political race. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't know. I didn't even think of that. Maybe because yeah, you're a wonder, runner. That's how you're thinking. I, yeah, it's on my mind today. I, uh, <laughs> I, I wonder if this has been the plan all the way from the beginning.
0: Hmm. Wow. I don't know. I don't know how far back that they go. They maybe at some point, maybe in some DVD commentary, we can find out. Although if the show's on Netflix, I don't know if they put it
1: out on DVD. So maybe we'll never know. We'll have to look for the interview with, uh, with the creators of the show. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it'll be interesting too, to see where does the fourth season end up? Cause we did have, that whole theory about the house of cards and being 52 episodes and that's the number of cards in the deck. And, and we're obviously not going to get that because we're going to get a fifth season at least. But um, I do wonder if the four seasons are going to be some, some sort of circle. I'm not sure. So we'll see ultimately uh, what happens there.
0: But I feel like for Frank, he has to look at, he doesn't think he can do it with her and to do it without her. She's basically saying, I'll ruin you. I'll ruin you. You won't win if you don't do this. So this is a complete blackmail scenario. And I just have to feel like that anytime any character has ever threatened Frank Underwood, it has not gone well for them. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. But this isn't just any character. This isn't just any character. But anytime a character has put Frank Underwood into a box and given him an ultimatum, he
1: always figures out a way out of it. Yeah, I think that we'll you know, we're going to see it. Going back and forth between them. I do wonder if it's going to be the whole season is like this between them or is Claire really going to take one of these one of these shots like the shot that she takes with the the glass to his side? How can he ever trust her again? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think he can. I think she's she's shown some of her cards now.
0: Now, do you feel like that for Frank? Was it too late in the episode for him to figure out that it was Claire? I mean, assuming that there's only one copy of this picture, I don't know who else might have it. But he knows it's in the safety deposit box. He knows that she's acting strange. She's acting like nothing's wrong. He says to us that he doesn't trust what's going on here, that they're thick as thieves. And he feels like that something is up. That's what he's worried about. She's acting normal. I mean, why was it all
1: the way until the end of the episode that he doesn't have proof positive? You know, I'm I'm not quite sure you would think because he he heard the description of the woman who was at the safety deposit box was Leanne. And he—he he seemed like he was putting that together. And even when Claire was telling him her plan that she wants to be his running mate, like I figured it out pretty quickly. That's what she was going to. And it took him a really long time to realize that's what she was saying. And and Frank's a smart guy. You would think that he would pick up on that pretty quickly. So I don't know if that was an act for her or if he really did not realize what was going on until that late into the game.
0: So maybe he just didn't want to believe it. Maybe there's another copy of the picture, possibly in terms of being able to uh, get it out. Now, why did they need to involve Orrin Chase in this? Now, uh, going back to, I did not remember this off the top of my head, but I said, I wonder if this guy has been in the mix before, apparently that he was
1: in the season one Gaffney episode. Do you remember anything about Orrin Chase? Uh, I don't remember anything about him, but I was going to say that in season one, episode three was back in Gaffney also. He's another
0: Gaffney politician. I just don't know why they needed to get him
1: involved to put that sign
0: up. I mean, I don't know if that Leanne figured that, oh, he's a politician. He must know where all of the printing
1: people are. I don't know why necessarily they needed his services. Yeah, he's got all the connections (laughs) for the large scale printers. (laughs) the printer. (laughs) Yeah, it's better to go with him than to pay full retail price. You can get like a 15% discount with him. So I'm sure it was just a a money thing. You know, money is a big uh, important thing, especially when gas prices are as high as they are. You don't want to be spending full price on printing.
0: Well, this is a weird episode because in terms of being in touch with modern day times in the real 2016 and not in touch with real times in in modern day 2016, uh, let's start with the gas prices, which really House of Cards probably picked the worst possible time to do this storyline of $7
1: gas because (laughs) right now gas is at like a what? 10-year low? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a car, so I have no idea what gas prices are, um, but I'll, I'll t- trust your word on that. Yeah, right now, uh, gas prices
0: right are right about uh, where they were uh, about eight or nine years ago. I mean, really... <laughs> like gas prices have really just the the bottom has dropped out of gas prices right now so it's really not the right time for this gas storyline of gas going up to six or seven dollars a gallon but this kkk story boy this is pretty timely considering everything that came out last weekend with donald trump and then that donald trump did not in the interview that he did Uh, I believe it was with CNN where he was asked to uh, disavow the endorsement of David Duke and the Ku Klux Klan. And Donald Trump was very reticent to do that in an interview. He has since come out and disavowed David Duke and the Ku Klux Klan. But some of his political opponents were jumping very quick on that. So a huge week for the KKK.
1: Yeah, they're just all over the uh, the media. Media Um. saturation. Yeah, definitely. And we're not even including the billboard that they got in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, those billboards aren't cheap unless you know know Mr.
0: Chase. Yeah. Nobody asked Frank Underwood to publicly disavow the KKK in this episode.
1: No, were you surprised that he just owned it? He was like, yep, this is my, you know, my first thought was be like, yeah, it's Photoshop. That's not him.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, he did own it, but I was thinking like, oh, this story must be a lie. But it turns out that this happened to be a true
1: story that Frank Underwood was telling. Yeah. I mean, Frank's stories of his past are all just like so story majestic. And like they just he just tells like the story about the, the kid up in the tree and this one about his father. Like nothing in my life has been that exciting. Like Frank is uh, telling his <laughs> stories. Yeah.
0: I thought that he was really just going to come out and say, like, yeah, my dad was in the KKK, but I'm not my dad. And I hate my dad. And I peed on his grave a couple of years ago. So that I have nothing to do with my father.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His father seems like a real, uh real scumbag. Yeah. If but this Frank was the one time he was a good guy when he did whatever he could for his family. If if the one time that you're a good guy is taking a picture with the KKK, <laughs> um, why do they have to take a picture? I mean, like, I don't, I don't understand why that, you know, I think that they blackmail you and they, they get you to go there
0: and then they say okay all right take a picture and that's like now okay all right now we're going to show everybody this picture unless you unless you come back to every meeting we're going to start leaking this photo like ah
1: but okay. here's a copy
0: for you i really just, just came here this. so i could get a bank loan i thought they'd some i was told i had it here on good authority that if you want to get a bank loan in this town you have to come to a clan meeting no <laughs> no uh, <laughs> you heard wrong
1: <laughs> step on over to the kkk photo booth before you leave <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we'll be distributing copies of this to everybody. Yeah. Don't let anybody see it though. You know, the future. Keep this keep this locked up in a lockbox.
0: In a lockbox. So Frank we'll have to see uh, where we end up going from here what about politically let's forget about the stuff with Claire Underwood can he bounce back from the South Carolina I mean if we're going to look at the delegate count okay so I think that Frank Underwood finds himself after a couple of rounds of this uh, similar to the position that Ted Cruz was in I think coming out of the three first three primaries where he won Iowa and then he lost in
1: New Hampshire and South Carolina yeah, I think that Frank's going to be able to bounce back. But Frank did bring up a point that I hadn't thought of, is that it's got to be really bad to lose your home state in these primaries.
0: Yeah, it's bad. And there's a lot of talk about it in this election in terms of where they were talking about, you know, if Ted Cruz didn't win Texas, he should get out of the race. And some people say if Marco Rubio can't win Florida, he should get out of the race. And Governor Kasich is saying that if I don't win Ohio, I'll get out of the race. So I think it's a big I think it's a bigger deal, though, in real life. Than in your because there's so many different candidates vying uh, for these delegates, as opposed to here. It's embarrassing, but it's not a huge numerical problem. Yeah, it's just some egg on your face, I guess. It's an egg on your face for Frank Underwood. So yeah. uh, we'll have to see uh, where we go from there. And as the Ohio primary is going to be sneaking up and Lucas gets uh, back into the story. So Also, of note with Frank and Claire is this other storyline that's happening with the now uh, Civil War reenactor photo showing up. (laughs) Now, that doesn't seem that scandalous. I mean, maybe coming on the heels of Underwood 2016. But I mean can't that easily be explained that he was at
1: a civil war reenactment? Yeah, I didn't really love that. I think that you know they could have found something better to write as that story, but <laughs> it just doesn't seem problematic at all. It's like yeah, he was he was with a, a reenactor and you know like I don't know, it's like being like oh you watched you know some movie that has racism in it. Yeah, you watch the movie you're not endorsing it so i think that that was
0: a little bit of a stretch that he hangs out with the civil war reenactors
1: yeah maybe frank just needs to get snapchat and then this would all go away after 10 seconds These photos would disappear i mean maybe yeah.
0: if it was like a picture of like frank sort of like with the uh, you know wrapped up in the confederate flag or something like that I mean, he took a picture with a guy <laughs> at a civil war reenactment who was yeah. say, who was playing the part of
1: one of Frank's relatives? Now, if you're going to say, "Oh, well, his ancestors fought for the South," yeah, I mean, I guess, but that. So this is the Civil War reenactment from a few seasons ago, where we had the whole episode devoted to it. Yeah, two. season two. Wow, it all comes back around. They're
0: really bringing back a lot of stuff. Like I felt like in season three, they didn't bring back a ton of things. And they were whole like we didn't see the whole Lucas storyline at all in season three. But really in season four, pulling
1: out all the stops, bringing back all the old characters. It's interesting, too, because in season one of, of House of Cards, episode three, that was the episode where Frank goes back to Gaffney. And I think I wonder if in season two, episode three was when he takes the picture with the Confederate soldier.
0: I don't know if it was that early on. I think it was sort of like in the middle because we had gotten into all of the stuff that was going on with China. And we had like uh, Doug having meetings with the guy who was I forget his name. That that was the big problem from Zang. China. Yeah, Zhang uh, in that. So I don't think it was quite that early that we went to Gaffney in the Civil War reenactment in season two. OK, so. Well. All right. And now for Frank, he has a bit of a problem here now uh with the black voters. We'll see if this goes to beyond just South Carolina or if this is going to be a theme uh throughout the rest of the election. And so uh another story to watch for. You don't really hear any bad press about
1: Dunbar come out ever.
0: No, she's <laughs> She's just record. kind of
1: like you don't hear good things, you don't hear
0: bad things. She's just kind of there. He's just kind of there. She's like move, moving along. I guess. Yeah. Is she like the Bernie Sanders that she doesn't really have like any scandals or anything like nothing too interesting in her backstory? I think Bernie Sanders is a lot more interesting <laughs> than her, though. Just like he's got a, at least like policy wise ideas. policy. Yeah. He has some more exciting ideas that you could talk about. But Dunbar,
1: she seems like a uh, pretty vanilla. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't even really want to take shots at Frank. You know, she I'm sure we'll get into the whole Lucas thing, but she got mad about that. I mean. She just doesn't seem like she wants to play ball that much. And um, I think she was a lot more interesting last year. This year, she's just kind of there. Well, let's talk about her with the Lucas thing. And poor Lucas, who has a worse life than Lucas? <laughs> oh, man. I, I mean, there's there's probably people with a worse life, but... Uh, Not many. You know, on this show, Lucas is pretty low on the totem pole. <laughs>
0: yeah. He's really just been crapped on ever since he was back in the friend zone with Zoe Barnes. And then he finally gets with her, but then she gets murdered and then he tries to avenge her and then he ends up taking the rap and going to, you know, federal prison and he's locked up with God knows who. And then he finally gets out and he doesn't even have internet at his house and he has to work at the car wash and then to get just to borrow somebody's car, he has to perform sexual favors on some guy who's going to rat him out and then ultimately
1: he gets his big chance and then Dunbar's like get away from me yeah I mean uh, it, it definitely made me think twice about renting a car and sitting in the back seat because uh, <laughs> now we know what goes on in those rental cars but Lucas has a problem with trusting the wrong people mm-hmm. if you look at the people he's worked with Gavin and you know these these guys in prison and now this guy at the car dealership he uh, you know, quit trusting these shady people that are going to screw you over yeah,
0: or just screw you. So we see Lucas. He finally gets his face to face with Dunbar and she just sort of like blows him off. And she's like, well, I can't believe you got me in the room with him. But then we see by the end of the episode, she's like thinking about like, "Uh, maybe this Goodwin guy is up to something. Maybe we need him.
1: Yeah. She started thinking about that and then was immediately interrupted by Seth sending her the picture. Mm -hmm. Um, And then so that, that kind of backburnered. So I wonder if that's not going to come back into play for a couple episodes until she, she realizes she needs that that one haymaker punch and gets back in touch with Lucas.
0: But how could they really get this to stick on Frank Underwood? I mean, is she going to come out or have through some sort of person that's endorsing her come out and say, like, uh, Lucas Goodwin served time in a federal
1: penitentiary because he was getting close to uncovering that Frank Underwood murdered his girlfriend? I mean, maybe we need Netflix to make a Making a Murderer series about Uh, Frank Underwood. I mean, does Dunbar just have the pull to be able to get to those text
0: message records? Yeah, I think that she she knows people. All right. So maybe that's ultimately where we're going to
1: go. But isn't aren't they just going to kill Lucas anyway at that point? Yeah, Lucas isn't making out of the season. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we didn't know he was in the season during our preseason death draft. So uh, there was no way for either of us to pick him. But I, I'm sure going back if we could redraft one of us would probably take him. Kinda
0: of seems like a zero sum game for Lucas because at the point that he gets his whole
1: conspiracy theory out in the news, isn't he gonna be instantly whacked? Yeah. I mean I, I don't really know what his long term plan is, but right now he's working at a car wash with no internet <laughs> um and living a living a pretty boring life. So it's kinda like, well, might as well go out you know, in a blaze of glory. Boy, how about Frank bringing out Doris and
0: Celia on the campaign trail for him to campaign in South Carolina?
1: Yeah, he's really trying to connect uh, with the voters in South Carolina. At first, I thought he was in Texas. I was surprised that they were actually in South Carolina. Yeah. um, Singing some gospel music. It was pretty catchy.
0: I don't know. To me, this was just kind of random. I know that Doris got mentioned in the State of the Union address, but is Doris that much of a national figure? And I guess that maybe she might be for a congressperson, so I guess well-known and uh, a friend of Frank Underwood. That's fine. I would get it if it was Doris that was out there doing some sort of a stump speech for Frank. But who is Celia? Celia is nobody. Celia is the daughter of the Congresswoman. Like, she's giving a big speech. Like, Frank Underwood is the president of the United States. <laughs> and I understand that it's an African American church, but Celia is a, is such a nobody. <laughs> well, she's the
1: heir to the throne. The, so heir maybe to you the, got that.
0: the 30th district in <laughs> Dallas. It's an important district. He's the president. <laughs> <laughs> like,. <laughs> i don't know i didn't get that when celia who isn't even an elected official is going to be giving like the keynote to set
1: up frank underwood now you sound like frank underwood saying people who aren't elected officials can't take uh, roles <laughs> important roles that help frank underwood
0: i mean i feel like if the pastor from that church would have just introduced frank underwood it would have been the same effect i don't know why you need to involve celia and doris in this
1: yeah i don't know. i mean i think they're just, uh, they're important characters in this, in this season and they want to get them involved there. I guess, I guess. so. I guess so.
0: I'll give you Doris. I'll give you Doris, but don't, don't tell me Celia is, uh, is a big deal because she's not even like, uh, I mean, Claire Underwood was going to just completely bogard her shot to even run for, and nobody was going to care.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, uh, he was, he was impressed by her speaking ability and wanted her to, her to come out and introduce him.
0: I guess so. Let's talk about Seth. Also, what the heck is Seth doing? Oh, Seth arrow is pointing down on seth yeah uh, i would think that he would be pointing up in the death draft (laughs) and i think that he is pointing down in terms and doug is on to him you know he's not even fooling doug
1: a little bit seth kind of sucks too like he's just like i used to like him yeah he's just a bland character i don't know maybe he'll do something exciting but um he's not doing a good job of being a kind of an undercover, whatever you want to call him. I'll tell undercover you, spy.
0: the upside for Seth, I think, is coming when he works for Dunbar. I think that when he switches sides, then I think that he'll be like another familiar face on the Dunbar side of things.
1: Yeah, and you're right. He's definitely, that's definitely going to happen.
0: He's definitely going over there, and then he's going to be, maybe that the woman that was trying to get him, maybe she's going to be out. Seemed like yeah. Dunbar was pretty pissed at her. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Cynthia is her name, Cynthia Driscoll. Yeah, and how dare you, Seth, try to throw meachum under the bus i mean yeah. I, and that's the the ultimate tell because frank knows like boy if meachum was gonna really try to make me look bad boy he's got much more <laughs> damaging stuff than this yeah exactly
1: if he that's, really wanted to do a number on me boy yeah and, and i mean they you know they have a very special relationship and he you know looked him in the eyes and, and he knew he was he was golden he's you know, that's wrong. It, it, it's just like what Seth is like watching TV and he's like, oh, that guy, he looks like a good target. Like he's never noticed Meacham before.
0: That was really random. He just looks at Meacham and like, oh yeah, Meacham. He's always around. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'll throw him under the bus. Yeah. Like that, that yeah. was a real stretch, real
1: stretch, Seth. And if you only knew, if you only knew. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like whoever smelt it, dealt it. It's like, it's like Seth, if you're going to do these things, that's fine. But don't start like throwing accusations around. Just act like you don't. You have no idea how's it happening. I have no. I have no clue. At that point, Seth should just tell Frank Underwood. Uh, I think it's Doug. To be honest, I think it's Doug. <laughs> yeah, it, I. You know, he could just, just believable. Naming, he could just start naming all kinds of Donald Blythe. Why not say <laughs> Donald Blythe? Yeah, I think it's Kathy. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was Kathy Petrov.
0: <laughs> it, it was Petrov. And so Petrov, we also find out he's really responsible for all of this oil price gouging uh that's going on. Frank is saying, let's try to empower the people that are trying to take Petrov out. Where do you think this is
1: going? Yeah, I I am not sure what we're gonna do so Poland wants to help with this situation. Um we need, you know, Frank says we need to respond to strength with strength. And and during this point, he has that he has that vision of fighting Claire. Um, so, you know, he's he's in a fighting mood. He really he really wants to to take down Petrov or try to. So um, I'm sure we're going to see more on this. We're we're really setting up the the Russia storyline for this season. More Petrov is coming. So that'll be exciting. Yeah. Excited for that. We have in this in this episode, we have the water that turns to blood and then we have oil. So we have oil, water and blood. And I just <laughs> wonder if there's any if there's any tie in between all of those. Yeah, I don't know if this
0: any sort of tie in with that. What was the ABC show money and oil or was it oil and bl- oil and water? Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> Sounds right. Maybe oil and water don't mix. They do not mix. So one of my other favorite parts in this episode or the w- creepiest part of the episode had to have been for me when Leanne goes to visit Oren and they make the transaction and then Leanne is walking away and he says to her, how about some fries with that shake? Yeah, that was like, I had that written down too. That was a great line. <laughs> like, what is the right response to that? Where she's like, actually, uh, you know what? Uh, let's go. I would like some fries, Oren. <laughs> yeah, I'll be right back. Let me yeah. run to McDonald's. So let's let's put this $500,000 deal on hold. <laughs> so we can uh, go out for a, a roll in the hay with you, Oren. Roll in the fries. <laughs> yeah. Does that ever work, that line? You want some fries with that shake? I don't know. I I doubt it. Doubtful. Yeah, it never worked for me. (laughs) Why you use that line? I mean, no, but if I had, I don't think it would ever work. (laughs) Let us know if anybody's ever used that line and it's worked. So before we get to the questions, so let's just go back to Frank and Claire. And what do we see Frank doing? Zach, what's
1: Frank's decision ultimately going to be here? What is he going to tell her? I mean, he already told her no. He told her she's she doesn't deserve it. She doesn't know how to fight. Um, and she responds that she will be fighting for this. So, I, I mean, we're going to keep seeing it come to blows. I could see him doing something to either distract or discredit her. I mean, her mother is still uh, in the picture right now. And and we didn't see anything from her mother in this episode. The thing is, I don't think he can hit her without it also looking bad for him. I, I just don't know what he he just wants her to be like a loyal servant to him and just do what he wants and not ask for more than she deserves. Yeah. So, and I know I've always said that Claire could just wait. And then in a couple of years, once Frank's political career is done, they could focus on hers. But I kind of wonder if Frank even wants that. Would he, would he be open to that? He says he would be, but I just think he wants to be the one in power. Uh, he doesn't, he always wants her a notch below him. But after you become president, what's left to do? I don't, there's, there's things he could do, you know, diplomat or, you know, I, I could see Frank changing the Constitution to allow himself to stay president for more terms or sure, something. Sure, that
0: would be an Underwoodian thing for him to be doing. But just like with Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton, it's almost like the closest that you can get back to being president is to have your spouse be the president.
1: Yeah, I just think that, I don't know if Frank... He, he clearly doesn't see her as somebody who can have one of these power positions like he can. And so I don't know if he would be OK with it. I, I think he wouldn't want her to have power if he can't have it, too.
0: Yeah, I thought it was an interesting line, because when he says to her that I would never let that happen, I was surprised by the answer that he cited or the reason that he said you've never held elected office. And
1: that wasn't where I thought he was going. Yeah, that we haven't heard him use that argument before. And Claire with a great shot right back at him that says you're losing to that woman. Yeah. Referring to that Dunbar also hasn't held elected office.
0: You don't deserve it. You don't value what we've achieved. So we'll see. I think he's going to eventually tell her he's on board just to get her to slow her roll a little bit. And then I think he is going to be biding his time while he comes up with some plan to take her out of commission.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that the show's going to jump forward in time a little bit. Again, we're going to jump a couple weeks or a month in time. So uh, he might already have something planned by the time we see him next. And, and we might see him starting to do that.
0: We haven't talked about Claire's mom also in this episode. And I thought again, more shades of what we saw at the end of last week's episode with the earrings. And that was really the ultimate tell that she put the earrings back in the safety deposit box. She wanted Frank to ultimately find them. Now, again, it's a good thing that Frank didn't get to the safety deposit box earlier in the episode when everybody was around. It happened to be at the perfect time for her to have that conversation with him. But we saw Claire's mom, who took the earrings, Frank's mom's earrings. She hid them. She lied to Claire. She said she didn't know where they were. And so she says
1: to Claire, you take my money. I'm taking something of yours. We didn't see a lot into the fight between them. And we're going to see more of that, but... Um, you know, Elizabeth told her she doesn't want her back and Claire says she'll do as she pleases. Like the rebellious teenager thing that you talked about in the yeah. last episode. Claire's fighting a war on two fronts. We are seeing a lot of mothers and their daughters. We see both Elizabeth and Claire and we see Doris and Celia and we're seeing fathers and sons with Frank and his father. Um, So I, I wonder if, if there's something there with like legacy or um, you know, parents, generations, it, you know, moving on, we, we have Frank's father is dead, Claire's mother is, is nearly dead, and Celia is going to be taking over for Doris in her uh, position.
0: Okay, let's go ahead and jump into some of these feedback questions that we have. Of course, every week, every episode, we want to hear from you guys. Send us your emails, hoc at postshowrecaps.com. These are the chapter 42 emails that we got. Why don't we start here with Steph B who writes in, was it smart of Lucas to go to Dunbar for help? Who should he have gone to talk to? Is there anybody else that he could have potentially
1: sought out instead of Dunbar? Yeah, that was interesting because when he told Dunbar, she says, well, I'm not with the Justice Department anymore. And it seems like he wasn't telling her to get justice. He was telling her because he wanted her to use it in the election against Frank. But I mean, I'm sure there's other people he could have gone to. It's, if I was him, I would go to somebody he that I actually trust and isn't going to just rat me out or screw me over. You know, if he went to Gavin or he went to um, the FBI or, or something like that. But um, no, no major characters come to mind. If he knew what was going on with Claire Underwood, maybe her, but even then probably not.
0: Let's take a question from Spencer who writes in and says, uh, the wheels are in motion for Dunbar to investigate Pete Russo and Zoe Barnes's death. With my prediction still standing that Frank will end up winning the Democratic nomination, do you forecast that if Dunbar tries to use any of Frank's dirt on him or expose it, will she suffer a fatal demise, aka death, to get silenced? Do you see if Dunbar starts snooping around with this stuff? Will Dunbar be the person who ends up
1: getting murdered? Uh, I mean, that would be... We talked about that before, that I said I wondered if she would die in order to not win the nomination. Um, But I... I kind of feel like once the primary is done, I don't know how much Dunbar is going to be in the picture. Yeah. I mean, this is a way to keep her in the picture, I guess, if the primary is over and then she starts investigating Frank. Could be. I just I don't know if I I don't know if I buy that and just kind of seems like a waste of time. No sign
0: of Conway either here in season four, other than those news clippings or those uh, video that we saw in the news in the scroll in episode
1: number 40. So do you think, is it possible that we don't get to the general election until season five? I really hope not. I think we talked the other day about uh, primary fatigue just between real life and house of cards. And I mean, these episodes are interesting, but I'm kind of like, all right, what are we going to have an episode for every state? We're going to have 50 episodes of each state's primary. Like, Let's, let's get let's move the pace a little bit on that well super tuesday we'd knock out a bunch yeah that's true and i i would think super tuesday is probably the next episode or the episode after that
0: mm, coming up i think they would probably be teasing it if it was this next episode
1: uh that's a good point but that that'll be a big one and then maybe once super tuesday is done we'll have our maybe we'll have our nomination we'll have the convention and then we'll be done with the primary fingers okay. crossed not my favorite part of the show
0: and then johnny D. Silvera wants to know. What, what is the significance of showing Frank rehearsing his church speech uh, and then along giving that same speech? So, Zach, you mentioned in the earlier podcast this season about there's a lot of sort of like uh, listening and preparing of the speeches. We've seen Frank do this a couple of times. I think in each of these episodes, we see him sort of working on a speech and then doing the speech. Any
1: significance to that? I think it's an interesting way to do it kind of artistically, because you you see the whole speech, but you see kind of two different versions of it as he's doing it. Um, I also think it's to draw attention to kind of that this is really theater. Um, I watched a really good YouTube video that um, was by by a YouTube channel called Wisecrack, and it was all about kind of the, the stuff that's in House of Cards from the previous seasons. And they talked a lot about political theater and how it's all just these actors kind of pretending to put on this show and and this kind of this kind of pulls into that where you see rehearsal uh of a speech and then you see the speech being given and and everybody else is just kind of pawns that's watching the speech
0: johnny DeSevera also predicts lucas is killed by episode six you want the over or
1: the under for lucas here in season four i think i would take the over on that but i wouldn't be disappointed if the under (laughs) hits i would too yeah,
0: I think Lucas is around for a while. He's the new Rachel. Yeah.
1: He's the cockroach. That's what we've called him before.
0: Yeah. But so far, I still say Lucas better than any version of Rachel.
1: Yeah. No, he, he is. I, I think he could be just, he could be a little bit more intelligent of a character. Like, he seems like he should be a smart guy. He's putting all this together and, um... He just doesn't make very smart decisions.
0: No, he does not. One more crazy theory. Should Frank nominate Claire Underwood for the Supreme Court? <laughs> Do she have any legal background? She's the head of a nonprofit. Uh, I mean, she has as much experience as to be the vice president.
1: No, I think she's more. Uh, I think she is more experienced to be the vice president <laughs> than she is to be on the Supreme Court. Well,
0: they say vice president is really an easy job. Like anybody could be the vice president.
1: That's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, what is she really good? I mean, she was already. What was she last year? Like a like a diplomat or, you know, like she already held a role that she wasn't qualified for and she was fine. I mean, and she wasn't good, but I'll say the one know. saving
0: grace for Frank could be him coming around on this. If he does start to see, Oh, I'm not going to win. And Claire is popular. And I would win if like, I still think he doesn't see a way. It's not just the power thing. He also doesn't see how he would win with her as his running mate. But if he does sort of come around to that, like if she becomes more powerful and more popular, then I think then maybe he could start to see it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it would really benefit him. I don't know. I think he's selfishly, just for his own ego, so against it. But it doesn't seem like the worst idea in the world. I guess not. It's not
0: the worst idea in the world, but I don't know. I don't think that it's a great idea.
1: Yeah, I mean it's you know people like her it's it's people seem to like frank a lot i like jackie sharp as the vice president i could see that I, I, do we often see the president change their vice president after it's their happened first term? before but it does not happen often yeah i guess a lot of things that don't happen often happen in house of cards in like a very small uh concentrated period of time yeah
0: although this is the year to really watch for the running mates that you know you never know who could be i mean there's a, a more than zero chance that Robin Wright could be somebody's running mate in 2016.
1: <laughs> you mean in real life? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She'd be the right VP. Yeah. The All right. right. Choice. Okay. So we're going to be back on
0: Monday night with episode number 43, chapter 43, that podcast. And uh, as of now, we are planning that to be a standalone show coming up. On Monday night for you guys, so you should have that Tuesday morning in your podcast feed.
1: Zach, do you have a hashtag for this episode? I mean, the the fries with that shake was a pretty good moment. That was memorable. Yeah, and and we had all the stuff with Lucas too. That was pretty memorable too. <laughs> was
0: that the pickup line the guy gave to Lucas of like, "Hey, <laughs> you want some fries with that
1: shake, Lucas? You, you want some fries with that rental car? <laughs> <laughs> so what is it, Lucas Shake? Luca, Lucas Shake. Lucas Shake. Yeah." <laughs> do do the, do the Lucas the Lucas Shake isn't that a dance that was popular a couple no, years ago? No, it's a, that is
0: never a popular dance. All right. So <laughs> Lucas Shake is the hashtag for chapter 42. Let us know in the comments if you hated that we put 41 and 42 together or if you kind of liked it, if it was convenient in any way. We do appreciate the feedback. Let us know your comments on com. Please do not give us any comments beyond chapter 42 as well. Of course, uh, Zach and I will be back with Chapter Forty Three. The next podcast coming up Monday night into Tuesday uh, for you guys on the podcast feed. All right, follow Zach Brooks on Twitter. He is at ZA. I am at Rob Sesternino. Uh,
1: Zach, any final thoughts? I'm excited for uh, you know moving on to some some exciting episodes. I think that we've got the table set. We've had the the first couple of shots by Frank and Claire, so. Um, we're going to start seeing some movement in this season, I have a feeling.
0: All right, table is set. We are ready to go. We do appreciate it when you leave us your comments or your reviews on iTunes. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash HOC iTunes or search for the House of Cards Post Show Recap in your favorite podcatcher. Have a good one, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye.